Um, so before we get into it too much, before I start off with prayer, I wanted to give you kind of a little bit of a background. Um, so the title should be up. Yep. Uh, the title is about my father's business. And I think a lot of you probably already have some assumptions or thoughts about what you think this sermon's going to be about. You're probably wrong. <laughs> uh, a little bit, uh, to a certain degree. Um, but I think this is, or there's a reason that everyone knows this verse. Uh, that's the title. And because it's very core to who we are as Christians. Um, so we're going to look at like who our father is. Um, we're going to look at what his business is. What does it mean for us? So it's kind of, uh, yeah, I think we're going to redefine what we really think about this verse and the weight and importance that it has and what context it can be used in. Um, so before we get too f much further, uh, join me in prayer, please. God, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. The, you created everything, Lord. You created us. You created our hearts and our minds. You put your spirit into our hearts. And without you, Lord, without your leading, um, we could read your word all day in vain unless you opened it up to us. Our hearts and minds would be We'd have hard hearts and uh, distracted minds, Lord, without your guidance and changing of, our, of those things. We truly need you um, to experience the creator of everything. Lord, you are the chief end. To be in your presence is, is to be fulfilling our created purpose. So we ask that you would change our hearts and minds even now, that your Holy Spirit would be over us, and that these words would come alive, and that you would speak through me and open the ears of those that would hear, and uh, that my own ideas would not take precedence over your ideas, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so really what this is going to be about is uh, I'm going to give some examples of people throughout church history. I'm sure we all know most of them. And uh, then we're going to look at a pattern that's held true through all of those. And what this pattern is, roughly, it's a leaving from your home and going out to do God's will. That's what it is. Uh, and this is a message for everyone that's here. <laughs> Whether you're a parent and you're sending your children out, or you're a child growing up and finally leaving home. Uh, it's relevant to all of us. And everyone who's not here, which, you know, you, know, you talk about like spiritual uh, warfare, and like I think this is something I've had a talk with. This is a past passionate subject for me. It's something I've pondered on and prayed about a lot um, and had a lot of discussions with young single men 
about this kind of thing for hours. So hopefully, you know, I won't preach for hours, but (laughs) really, you know, like this is, if I were to write a book, this would be like the first book I would write. And it's, it's that kind of subject. Uh, And it's not just one that could be summed up in like one book. It'd be like multiple books and it'd be, uh, it's going to be really hard for me to get through today with one sermon. So (laughs) the idea is leaving, being called by God and going out from your home to advance his kingdom. That's what it's really all about. Um, So we're going to go through these examples. Uh, So if you turn with me, we're going to examine Abraham real quick. So turn with me to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. All right, so starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families on the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So the first thing I'd like to point out is God spoke and Abram went. There's no mention of uh, waiting. There's no mention of... Uh, He just wanted to make sure he had a job where he was going. He didn't know where he was going, in fact. He just said, go out to land that I will show you. (laughs) He's like, drive west. I'll pick some place along the journey, right? (laughs) So he didn't ask questions. He wasn't like, Lord, let me pray about it for a week, (laughs) and then I'll tell you what I think. (laughs) He didn't consult his family. I mean, these are all assumptions, but, you know, it's the, what we were supposed to get from the Scripture was put in Scripture. If we were supposed to get more out of it, like that we're supposed to wait and ask, like, make sure everything's in order before following God, it would have put that in Scripture. But it's not. So what it's saying is when God calls us, we go. And that's what happened. Abram was called, and he went right away. Abram went on to be Abraham, and he had a lot of experiences like this where the Lord told him to do something, and uh, you see a progression over his life where he does it quicker and quicker to the point where he's asked to sacrifice his own son Isaac, and he does it, or he, he prepares to do it without any hindrance in his heart, even though that was his, his son, That's who the nations were supposed to come from. That was God's promise to him was Isaac. And he was going to give that up because God told him to. And and it says in Scripture that he even believed that God would raise him from the dead because that's how great of a God he knows he follows. No one had been raised from the dead at this point, right? Even now we know examples throughout history. You can find examples 
today of people being raised from the dead, and we still have a hard time believing it. There's so many examples, and we have a hard time believing it, and Abraham believed it, and he had never seen it before. He had only known death. He never knew resurrection. So he knew there was the cost, and uh, it cost him. He was in a wilderness his whole life. He wandered. He was a sojourner. He was like Christ who didn't really have a place to lay his head. And he took that cost and he went with it. So we'll go to Mo- Moses next. Uh, I could talk about each of these guys. They could each have their own book about this, like I said. Uh, so Moses, we, if you're not familiar with his story, he was uh, born during a time where there was uh, the Egyptians were killing all the Hebrew children his age. Um, and his mom, obviously, with her great motherly instincts, didn't want him to die. I think most of our moms don't want us to die either. They would do the same in her situation. Uh, Sent him down the river in a basket to be picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. Now, if you're Pharaoh's daughter and what she wants, she was going to get. So he was safe. Moses was safe. And he grew up in a family um, that, like, Pharaoh's family became his family. That's where he got his education. That's where he called home. Um, Those were, if he was going to have a Thanksgiving dinner, it was with all the people in Pharaoh's Pharaoh's household, not with the Israelites. (laughs) He had probably never eaten with a Hebrew before he left. But that's what happened. He left. Uh, And differently than Abraham, he wasn't directly called, but God organized it so that he would leave. He, uh, He killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew, and why the Lord, the Lord put something in his heart that he'd wanted to protect the Hebrews, right? He was a Hebrew after all. And, uh, you know, out of fear he ran and escaped into the wilderness where he sacrificed riches and wealth. I mean, he was, he was a king's son. He had it all. They didn't have cars back then, but he had a pretty fancy chariot, I'm sure. Right, so he was set, and but he still left. God drew him out, and he ended up living in a wilderness. And then what he do? He delivered the people of God from slavery. He's one of the most like referenced in Scripture of like, see, we should have like that kind like look what God does. You know, this parting of the Red Sea is like the biggest miracle of of all time. One of the biggest miracles of all time. It's the one that's built the faith of Israelites forever and builds the faith of Christians. You know, that's, that's what Moses' legacy was. He blessed a whole nation. But then Samuel also had different circumstances of his leaving. Um, so if you'd like to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. We'll talk about the circumstances of his leaving. So a little background. Hannah, his mother, was barren. During this time, this was a culture that truly saw the treasure of children. Um, unlike our, our culture, who doesn't value the life of children enough. Um, 
but even we can understand the pain that she was going through. She wanted a child, and she couldn't have one. So it says in verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. There's probably only, I don't know, I can't put a number on this, but I know all of us in here, not all of us in here have ever wept bitterly. That's a deep, deep crying. So some of us can't exactly sympathize with Hannah, um, but some of us can. So it, it goes on, like this is just a frame of reference, like she was crying out to God. She really wanted a kid. And it says, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now while she was praying this, uh, the priest uh, Eli was in the temple as she was praying, crying out to the Lord. He actually accused her of being drunk at first because he didn't hear what she was saying. He was just seeing her lips move. <laughs> but uh, they talked and, and she explained what was going on. And uh, eventually she did, he, he prayed a blessing over her. And uh, eventually she did have a son, Samuel. And he grew up to a point where he was weaned off. He was no longer reliant on his mother for sustenance, right? He was old enough to eat bread. He was no longer drinking milk, right? And she, like right after that, she discussed with her husband and they took him to the temple to live with Eli in God's house, okay? This was the son she had prayed for and wanted uh, so much that she wept bitterly and she gave him away. Because she knew that's what God, God blessed her with this kid. And she had made that vow. And hopefully that's a vow every parent makes. Samuel went on to be a judge of Israel. He was a religious leader. He anointed Saul. He did lots of great things. He blessed nations. He blessed many people. He sacrificed a lot. He didn't get to grow up in a normal home. He had to live with an old crazy guy. <laughs> so next we're going to go over the apostles. Um, if you turn with me to Matthew 4, 18 through 22. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. It should be up there. Yeah, great. They're awesome with these slides. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. This is Jesus, if you didn't know. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
immediately, I'm sorry, uh, after a little while, no, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them immediately. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. The apostles are no different than any of us. They weren't like rogue scholars that became fishermen. Okay, if you were a scholar, that's what you did. <laughs> like if you were a, a Pharisee, you went and, and studied. You weren't fishing, okay? <laughs> um, they weren't anything special. God didn't call them because they were uh, extra holy. In fact, most of them at some point along the way sinned in their doubt of God and in their doubt of Christ and what he could do, and in their understanding of who he was. But what they did do was they left immediately. The rich young ruler didn't. Uh, oftentimes we don't. <laughs> but they left immediately. They left their father. They left their father's business. So, and they... At one point, they were so sure of Christ and the call that they were following him that they said things like, where should we go? Or where would we go? You have the words of life. They, they had something figured out. Um, and what they did, they went on to, to start the Christian church. We're all disciples of those original disciples, in a way. We... The heritage that they left on is something we rely on all the time. If it wasn't for them and what they did, we wouldn't be here. I mean, they, they were so committed that all but one of them was martyred. If you didn't know that, that means they died for the church. And if you're thinking, man, I wish I was the one that wasn't martyred, uh, you probably don't because he was boiled alive. So <laughs> he didn't get it much better. <laughs> So then our last example, which is the last but definitely not least example, is Christ. Uh, turn to Luke 3, verse 21 through 22, and then we'll jump down to chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, that's, this is chapter 4, verse 1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, which is where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. After that, he started his ministry. And I could talk about his accolades um, and all that he did and the, what, what his sacrifice and following of God's call changed for us, but I'll just mention a, a few of them. 
because if I went too long, then I'd, Greg would end up preaching till 2 p.m. So, <laughs> um, Jesus was always focused on his calling given by God. And we'll read a little bit later uh, what I mean by that, even in his young age. Going back to the title, just so you guys know. And he paid the ultimate price to redeem all of his people and bless the whole world. He gave up, so where everyone else gave up their lives, he gave up a life that was the life of God. He stepped down from heaven. That's more than just dying. That's more than just a normal person dying. We're talking about God dying. That's a bigger price than what we could ever pay. So we're, we're to the pattern now. We're halfway there. Ooh, running low on time. All right. <laughs> we're halfway there. Um, the first thing you see is a call. The call from the caller. Um, this call is a call to go into all nations and proclaim the gospel. The call is to advance God's kingdom. All right? Um, I've got a couple scriptures here that will we'll get into that, so we'll kind of give some body to what I just said. Uh, Luke 2, 49 through 51 And when his parents, okay, so background again, sorry. Uh, this is Jesus as a young boy. He was in Jerusalem with his family, and then they left him there on the caravan. They thought he was hanging out with his cousins or whatever, and they got two, two days away before they realized he was gone. This is a real home alone situation, right? Only, like, probably less injuries, Um yeah, so, and it's not New York, it was Jerusalem. Um, so that's the context here. He was, he was left behind. And so they come back and they find him in the temple speaking with the religious leaders there. And he was asking questions that like just astonished him. So like for some context here, this is like uh, if, you know, I don't know if you're at the wedding, Sam... Shun Poon talked about how him and Josiah got started by talking hours about theology. So imagine they're having one of their famous theology discussions, and Elijah Trossel walks in and then asks a question that stuns both of them. Okay? They're, they're like, wow, we didn't even think about that. Like, you're so wise, and it's Elijah Trossel, you know, who's a kid. That's what Jesus was doing. And so this is after that Luke, uh, I guess we want 48 actually. So if you, yeah, 48. We're starting in 48, not 49. My bad. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. A distress I'm sure was similar to like Hannah's distress when she was crying out to God for Samuel. She thought she may have lost her son, the son, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the one called Jesus. So, and then he said to them, he says, why were you looking for me? 
Now I have the ESV version. It says, do you not know that I must be in my father's house? Well, the one we're familiar with is the, the King James or New King James version. Uh, Did you not know I must be about my father's business? It's very important that you know both of these because those are interchangeable things to the writers of Scripture. Being in your father's house and being about the father's business. Okay? The father's house was where God's presence was and it's where his kingdom was. When Christ came to earth, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. He's talking about himself, right? He's saying now the presence of God, his kingdom, is going to be spread past the temple. We no longer have to be confined to be in a temple to be in God's presence. So Christ's calling, our calling, is to go out and spread this presence, to be a walking temple, to dwell in, dwell in God's presence ourselves. And everywhere we set foot is where his kingdom goes. So, back to the scripture. Did you not know I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them and went down with him, with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Now, when I treasure something up in my heart, it's because I don't fully understand it or I know there's more to it than I'm getting at that moment. And I want to think about it a lot. Okay? When you memorize a verse, you're treasuring it up in your heart. Uh, When you recall a memory often, it's because you want to reflect on it and how special it really was to you. Something, uh, you know, if, if you're in a relationship, I'm sure you do often, you reflect on the memories of when you were in a budding relationship early on and, and you didn't quite fully understand the, the gravity of that first date or the first time you said I love you or whatever it is, and then you reflect back on it and you're like, wow, that was, that was a big deal because like, we're going to get married now. <laughs> Um, so, further on to like this call thing, we read Luke 4, verse 18 through 19. This is Jesus speaking in a synagogue, quoting scripture and saying that it's fulfilled in this reading. He's saying, this scripture was about me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what it means to spread God's kingdom. That's the call that we have, each and every single one of us. And yeah, that's, that's the call that all of those people I, I told you their stories of, that's the call they had. So I kind of first realized this, I mean, I always knew it. My parents did a good job of explaining to me that, like, above all things, like, to follow God and where his leading is is important. Um, I was about 
two years into being at Grace Christian Fellowship, uh, finally, like, really getting involved uh, with, like, the campus ministry and stuff like that. And I had a talk with Greg. I don't know if he remembers this talk. <laughs> but it was, a, it was an important talk to me. Um, it wasn't, like, earth-shattering. Like, it was just like, a, oh, yeah, like, duh. Kind of one of those things that just kind of clicks. Like, it's two things you always understood, but then you finally put them together, and it's like, oh, yeah. Um, he was asking me, like, if I was planning on staying in Dayton after I graduated. And... Uh, I was like, well, maybe. I don't know, like, it depends on where God leads me. And this was, like, a big deal to me. Um, he said it as, like, a really matter-of-fact, like, you know what Scripture says? Is this a biblical community? I was like, yeah. It's like, is the kingdom of God being advanced here. I was like, yeah. He's like, then why would you leave? That is what God's called you to. So I stayed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it would take a miracle from God, something supernatural to, to take me away. It'd have to be very clear to me because it'd have to be something like extra biblical, you know, something that I can't just read on the pages of, of the Bible because I've been to different churches, guys. When I was young, my parents had a longing in their heart for something deeper, and we went to lots of different churches. Never seen anything like this. Never seen community like this. Never seen zeal with knowledge like this. Uh, it's rare, so I'm staying. <laughs> so for children, um, those that are on their way out, that have been called to leave their homes and, and are in that process or haven't done that yet, be ready to put your calling first and foremost. That is the thing about your life. You've been bought with a price, like the greatest price. Your life is no longer yours. You're a bondservant. Your calling goes before everything else, even the good stuff. Even the stuff that God's given us that's good, he's got more waiting for us. You know, I was in this off, off the sheet here. My family is really a great family. Love them. They're all Christians. Uh, I've got nephews that I love and two goddaughters that are my nieces, and they're so cute. I only see them like a few times a year now because I've got things to do. You know? I've got important, like, world-altering things to do. That's here. And sometimes my family understands. Sometimes they don't, you know. But I was called to go out, and I guarded that call jealously. You know, I reflect on Matthew 28, 18 through 20 all the time. 
in Romans 10, 13 through 17. If you haven't heard those ones, go look it up yourself. Like, look at the Great Commission and what it really means. And parents, I want to read a verse to you um, and all those who will be parents at some point and those who have been parents and are now grandparents. Um, I want to read a verse for you. Psalm 127, verse 3, 3 through 5. This is a famous one. I'm sure all of us have heard it. But I hope you get the gravity of it because as a parent, if you don't do this, you're robbing the world. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame. When he speaks with his enemies in the gate. If you aren't using your arrows, you're a terrible archer. (laughs) You don't have much faith in your aim. At some point, you gotta you gotta release the arrow to go out. You do, and if you don't, then like you're you're gonna you're losing your only defense, your only attack. You're losing your whole life's purpose. If you're a warrior who doesn't have a weapon, there's no point for you to be on the battlefield. Now, I'm not saying like everyone's gotta have kids, right? This this applies to disciples too. You don't just get a disciple and then hold them under you your whole life. You send them out. You know? You, you take your kids and you, you train them. You make sure they're ready to be shot straight. And you, you aim and you release. And if you don't, you're a terrible warrior who should just go home and sit on a couch. <laughs> I would not want to be fighting with you if you were the guy that had arrows in his quiver and didn't use them. Okay? Like, this is a huge, huge thing that uh, it's really hard for parents. We're going to go back to Samuel's mother, Hannah. She finally got her kid. And instead of waiting, I mean, she weaned him, I don't know, how, like, two, two years old, right? That's pretty young by the time you wean your kid. She didn't wait until he was like five, like, I want to see him grow up. She let him go. You know, I'm not saying send your kids out when they're two, obviously. <laughs> but when, God, when God's clearly showed you that it's time for them to go, you need to be ready to do that. It's hard. It's, I'm not saying that it's not hard and that family's not a good thing, Okay. I want that to be super clear. Family is awesome. Family is a God-given thing. And in its time, it's very important. But when it comes time to release those arrows, you better be ready to do it and not hesitate. A matter of seconds is a big deal on a battlefield. And God makes it clear, and we try and blind ourselves and, and not see it, but whether we think that arrow is going to hit its target or not, we better at least shoot it. 
and, and pray that God will, will, will lead it. After it's, after it's off the string, that's all we can do. You know, after that, it's up to the wind. You know? It's up to God after that point. And that's what you should pray for. That's what, that's what my parents prayed for. They said, I hope you go beyond us in the things of the Lord. That's what you should want for your kids. It's a sacrifice. It is. That's what Christianity is about. You're sacrificing your whole life. You're sacrificing your children's lives. You're sacrificing comfort and love and all this other stuff for something greater. We'll go back. There's a cost section. We'll talk about the cost. I've got to speed up here. Hindrances. So... This can be anything. This can be your, your hobbies, if you're living for work. Uh, anything not centered on honoring God is a hindrance. It doesn't have to be sin. It can just be a hindrance, something that holds you back. And that can be family. Family can hold you back. I see it all the time. If you're going to f- family this, family that, family other thing, and you're not honoring God through it, it is distracting you and keeping you from your main purpose. And you'll never be, you'll never fully come into what God's called you to. If Abraham waited around, you know, he would never have gone into the desert. Imagine Christ waiting another couple years. The disciples would have been in a different place. The time that like everything came together. Like I don't think you realize how everything in history kind of came to this one point at Christ's death and was the perfect time for the gospel to go out after that. The timing's huge here. So family can be a hindrance. And we're told to like lay those hindrances aside. So there's some people that like take this very serious. Uh, I just want to use one silly example to kind of talk about like how zealous some people can get about this. Uh, me and Christiana watched the Sister Act the other day. I don't know if any of you have seen that. <laughs> so Sister Act is this, this uh, Las Vegas casino singer uh, goes into witness protection at a with a bunch of nuns. So she's got to pretend to be a nun. Totally not. It's Whoopi Goldberg, by the way, if you like her. <laughs> uh, and so she's like got to live like a nun. And she's totally about living like her life, just do whatever she wants, you know, be with whoever she wants, eat whatever you want, uh, watch whatever you want, like entertainment all the time. She was in in Las Vegas, guys. And... These nuns give up all kinds of things so that they can focus on God. You know, they only wore one thing, so they didn't have to waste time making clothing decisions. I've wasted a lot of time making clothing decisions, and they're usually wrong. <laughs> uh, entertainment. I've watched, I've wasted a lot of time in front of a TV. Video games is a huge thing with young men that I. I really want to get like a cross that that is a huge waste of your life. You're not gaining anything from video games. 
Nothing redeemable about that. Uh, they, they even gave up marriage. They're like, we're so focused on the Lord, you know, that would just be distracting. Some of us are called to that, you know. That's in Scripture. But uh, for some of us, it would be a distraction not to be married. Like me. Uh, and sometimes they even went with, they just had silence for a whole day. They were just quiet. They didn't speak because that would be distracting. So don't be afraid to like lay aside these hindrances, okay? Don't be afraid to, it doesn't have to be sin for it to be holding you back is what I'm saying. Like I said, family is a good, great thing given from God. But if, it's, if we're relying on it in a non-God-honoring way, it is a hindrance. And it's holding you back from running the race. And that's the same thing for parents. You can be a hindrance to your children. Don't be. Okay, that's a hard thing to say. But that's a thing that's very important. Don't coddle your children. Don't, don't hold them back. You know, don't make them make that hard choice of like breaking your heart. You make that, you can make that choice for them. Like kick them out of your house or something. I don't know. That's what Hannah did. <laughs> Said you're, you're two years old. It's about time you get your own job. Start pulling your way. <laughs> So the cost, right? This is a little bit of the hindrance. The hindrance is like you got to lay these things down, but I just wanted to remind us that I get it. It is a big cost to do that. You'll lose relationships. People, you know, some family members will will forget you altogether. You know, so I want to read a scripture real quick. Um, this is like, I want... Yeah, this is a good scripture. Ah, uh, we'll skip it. Or there's another one. I'll just tell you the story. Uh, there's a family that I know that are ex-Amish. Now, there's nothing wrong with the Amish. Uh, they're Orthodox Christians, I believe, but there's a lot of things that are hindering them from the full potential of God's call in their life. Um, if you are living in a secluded. Uh, community, you're not going out and fulfilling the, the Great Commission. You can't talk to people if you don't see them. <laughs> okay, that's a huge hindrance. You know, technology is great. Computers and phones. Greg wouldn't be able to, Greg and Anvesh wouldn't be able to minister to people in India without technology. Sindhu's here because of talks she had with Deanna while they were halfway around the world from each other, you know. And she gets, she gets it. She's like, yeah, I got to go halfway around the world because that's where God is. That's where his, that's where his kingdom is. I got to be there, okay? She's loving it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So these ex-Amish family, they were cut off from their family when they decided they didn't want that life. They decided it was a hindrance and that they needed to go. They didn't necessarily want to be cut off from their family. They would, I'm sure they would love to go back and visit and see them, but they've been 
excommunicated. They've been like banished from their home because they, they said, it's not a sin to be Amish, but it's a hindrance. And that's a hindrance. That's a price we're, like, we're, we're not willing to pay. That's a greater price than, than our, giving up our family and our home. So they went. So children, be ready to pay the price. Parents, be ready to lose your children. Whether, they're, whether that means like they're godly or ungodly, at some point they become a hindrance to even parents. Kids can be a hindrance to parents. And parents can be a hindrance to their children. Examine that. Reflect on that. Pray to God. I'm not telling you like every scenario like this is the age you got to cut them off. This is the scenario where you like lay the family like or how much you lay the family aside. I still go home and see my family, you know, once a month or something like that. Because like I can spare four or five hours on a weekend, but I can't be there all the time. I can't be there for every birthday. But there's also some family members that are so toxic that you shouldn't see them at all. They're that much of a hindrance. Every time you go speak with them, they affect your spirit negatively in such a way that it's truly damaging. There's some family members like that. Pray about it. Reflect on it. Seek counsel. Um, so I'm not going to like give you all that cost thing without telling you that like God is a good God and he rewards our sacrifices and whatever you pay, you're going to get a hundredfold. That's exactly what scripture says. So this is, this is the key verse that I want everyone to, to walk away with. So if you haven't written anything down yet, write this one down and reflect on it. Mark 10, 28 through 30. Now, we all know Peter. He thinks he's a pretty great guy. He thinks he's like the super disciple, right? Like some of us. I mean, maybe some of you think it, but I am it. So, <laughs> Right, right. So he's like, God, I, I left so much behind. He says, Peter began to say to him, see, what we have left everything and followed you. He's like, I left heaven for you. That's what Jesus said. <laughs> what he said was, you know, you don't, you don't want to get into like a pity party with Jesus. Like that's, <laughs> you're going to lose that one. Uh <laughs> Don't try and get it when you're praying and you're trying to get into a pity party and you're like, Lord, I sacrificed so much for the church. <laughs> Come on. He said, truly, I say to you, there's no one, no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Slip that one in there. 
and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. We like that last part, right? You know, that's what I always quoted uh, when my soccer team was like doing really bad for the season. I'm like, first will be last. So some of these, to give you a context of what I mean, gaining family now. Like you're gaining brothers and sisters a hundredfold now, right? Not, you don't have to wait. It's, it's happening now. My great example of this is John Luke's not here, but if you ask him, he went to like five Thanksgiving dinners this year. <laughs> now he had a big family to start with. He's one of eight children. If you ask him now, He's got way more family than he ever did. This is a good one. I like the things to stay on Thanksgiving because I think that's really resembles family and where your heart is. Uh, I've taken Sam Wanthy with me home for Thanksgiving three years now, right? It's a great tradition. Uh, and so, you know, it's... Clearly, there's uh, a noticeable difference that we're not family. <laughs> but, but over the three years, we have convinced uh, at no great effort my niece and nephews that he is, in fact, their cousin. And they believe this so much that they have sent things to him, like pictures they drew for him and things like that. They're like, super cute. They're like, he's, he's our cousin, Cousin Sam. Uh, <laughs> we, gained, we gained a cousin. <laughs> but we wouldn't have if I hadn't gone to GCF, if I hadn't come here, if I didn't learn to love Sam, even though he would make me late to going to Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> Were you here for the hindrance of, like, picking clothes, Sam? (laughs) So, um, this is for both children and parents. The fruit's the same. The fruit is a bigger family. The fruit is blessing all nations. The fruit is... God's kingdom coming incarnate. I've got lots of family here. And in generations from now, this family will grow to be hundreds of thousands. Who knows? Because, you know... The interesting thing about this verse, it mentions the things that you'll lay down and the things that you'll receive hundredfold. It says you'll lay down all these things and it mentions laying down your father. It doesn't mention gaining another father because there's one true father, the one, we're, the one whose business we're about. Okay? That's the thing that, that we already have. And if you think, like, you can be about another father's business, you're wrong. There's only one, you can only have one call and one mission. Okay? 
you can only have one call and one mission. And that's the one that you get from God. If you're choosing another one, then you're not really about your father's business. You're about someone else's business. So, in conclusion, um, as Christians, we have a mighty call that should engulf every aspect of our lives. Every aspect. We were bought for... We were bought by Christ's life, which is the, the heaviest price you can imagine. So we need to challenge ourselves. We are challenged to set our faces like flint towards our Father's business. A business of world redeeming. And this may cost us relationships, but... And, and other things, but no one has made a sacrifice for God that wasn't rewarded far beyond what we could ever deserve. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for family. Thank you for the family that we are born into, and the family that you lead us to as we grow and follow your call. The ones who, who have the same vision and same leading as us, God. Thank you for your timing and for drawing us out into wildernesses, Lord, into desert places. Thank you for being there with us as we, as we follow this great call. Lord, I pray that you would remind us often of the great rewards of the sacrifices that we make. That you would strengthen our spirits and put steel in our souls to be able to make those tough decisions. Thank you, Lord. Amen.